The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm just wondering who's going to be in the second service because, you know, like, it's pretty full. Uh, But anyway, we'll figure that out as we go. It'll be pretty exciting to see who turns up. Uh, I know Susan will be there for sure because she loves the second service. (laughs) Excellent. Well, uh, this morning we're we're continuing uh, uh, the life series where we're journeying through the book of Ephesians. Last week was a pretty challenging passage. This week is even more challenging. Only because it's one thing to talk about personal transformation. It's another thing to talk about how we do the gospel in the context of relationships. That's messy. You know, who, have, who among us here has not been deeply hurt by the people closest to us? Our family, our loved ones, our husband, our wife, or have an amazing job but be driven out by a really bad manager or a horrible boss or whatever it is and, and just ruined a, a great work environment because the people in it were terrible. So, th- th- and this passage that we're looking at today speaks to all of that. Um, and so it's, it's messy, it's hard, it's complicated, but God's Word can give us encouragement and guidance as we think about this stuff. And so we're going to do that uh, this week, and then we're going to hit pause on Ephesians. Um, and we're going to spend a few weeks unpacking the whole theme of relationships. This passage kind of leads us into that, to think about that. And so we'll be looking at singleness and friendship and dating. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about sex. I know, sex in church, who would have thought? But we're going to talk about sex. And we're going to get some guest speakers who are much more qualified than me uh, to come and talk about gender, the gender issues in our culture, same-sex attraction. How do we understand what the Bible teaches on that? So we have David Parker coming to do that on 1 Corinthians, who is... He's an expert on that. And Patricia Wirakun, who does a lot of work as a psychologist, a Christian psychologist, uh, working in that space of uh, gender and, and sexuality. So she's going to come and help us think biblically about relationships and about sex and about caring for people well in the culture that we find ourselves in. And then we will come back and finish the last bit of Ephesians um, after Easter, so in April sometime. So that's how this next bit is going to work. So could I ask you to stand again as we come around God's Word and read it together. And this week I'm reading from the NIV, and I'm reading Ephesians 5, 21 to 6, uh, 6 8, uh, 9. And again, I encourage you, just listen to it and let the Word of God speak to your heart. And So let me pray. Father, I, I pray that as we stand to hear your Word, may your Word pierce our heart. May it encourage us and challenge us. May your Holy Spirit bring it alive even as we read it out aloud. I pray that you will speak your word into our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your sl slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please take your seats. Now, if you know anything about my family, this is a you know, thing that we like to do here, share a bit of things about our stories. We love Monopoly. We're a board game family. We love Monopoly. And whenever we say that, you get one of two responses. People just go, either go, wow, yes, that's amazing, or they go, oh, my goodness, trauma. Like years of Monopoly abuse come crashing down at them. And often I, I kind of talk about this with them because we love it and they say, oh, the game just takes forever and it goes for hours and hours. And I say, just tell me how you play it. And nine out of ten times they talk about this one rule that so many people play and it's putting money in free parking. How many people play with that rule? Bad rule. It's called a house rule. Right? And everybody has them. They have house rules about how they play this game Monopoly. But what it does is it changes the game. And it makes it something very different from how the creators of the game intended it to be played. It makes it go on for long periods of time when it's never meant to. But when you play it by, see how you can tell I'm a fan. When you play it by the rules, exactly as it was meant to be, it works. And it works well. Relationships are a bit like that. All of us have grown up in families. We have parents, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it might be. And we've embraced house rules about how to do this thing called marriage and parenting. And, and, and sometimes they're great and they're biblical and they really help us live the way God wants us to be. But often, because we're all broken people, those rules are a bit messed up. They're a bit out of whack and they're a bit twisted and they're a bit out of line even when they're based on God's word often so much of our own egos and our pride and our selfishness twist the truth of God's word and we live out something that's far from what God really intended so this morning what we're going to try to do 
through this very, very difficult passage is to kind of hear what Paul is trying to tell this church about how to do relationships the way God intended or God planned or God desires for them, particularly in light of their faith in Jesus. So let's get some things out of the way. Firstly, this is a really, really difficult passage and for a whole bunch of different reasons. For a start, it's controversial. There's a lot of debate, particularly verses 21 to kind of 33, which talks about the husbands and the wife. And there's been a lot of ink spilt on this, all right? Lots. You know, right? what, what is the meaning of the word head there? You know, like what, you know, all of that stuff. And I want to be straight up with you. I don't have the time in 23 minutes to, to do it justice, so I'm, I'm not going to try. I'm going to try and do what Paul is actually, I think, trying to do in this passage, which is help people live out a gospel-focused home. That's what we're going to try and do. The second thing I want to say is that this passage, sadly, and the Bible as a whole, has been used by Christians and by the church and by well-meaning people to, to really oppress women over the years, particularly and so for some people, th there's already a negative reaction to, to certain words like submission here. Already. Because it's loaded words. It's emotive words. And it's been hurtful words. So I want to acknowledge that right up the front. This is hard. And so we're going to try to come to this passage like we're hearing it for the first time. Even though that's going to be really, really difficult for us. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about submission. Firstly, and this is inescapable, it's a, it's a military word, this word submission. And it it's always has the idea of order and authority and structure. It, it, it's a word that's used to, to talk about how we're to relate to people within a particular social order and structure. And it's used often that way in the Bible, and we see it particularly in the context in Romans 13 where Paul's talking about how we're to relate to governing authorities. Or in 1 Peter chapter 5 where Peter is talking about how the Christians, uh, the younger members of the church, are to relate to the uh, older members or the elders of the church. Or in other contexts, how the church, the people in the church, are to treat and relate to the leaders that God has put into positions of authority. We, we can't escape that. It is what it is. That is the word. Second thing I want to say, that the idea of submission is throughout the Bible in a very, very different way. And overwhelmingly, I think I even want to say every single occurrence of the idea of submission is a positive one. It's never in the context of oppression or domineering or bullying, even though often it's been lived out that way. But biblically... It's never like that. And we see all these examples. Jesus taught about it, that idea, when he's talked about turning the other cheek. That's submission. That's the idea of submission. Uh, Jesus used it to describe his own earthly ministry. In Matthew 10, 49, he says, The Son of Man is here to serve, to submit himself. And all those references are when Jesus, in the Gospel of John in particular, is talking about his relationship with the Father and how they are one, but he's here to only do the works and proclaim the words that the Father has given him. This idea that he's in his incarnation, he's under the authority of the Father, even though they're completely equal. It, it, Jesus models it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will, but yours be done. That, that's submission. 
And Jesus talked about, uh, Paul uh, described it in the incarnation of Jesus in Philippians 2, that here is the great, glorious, infinite son who becomes human and takes on the form of a servant and a slave. Submission. And then Christians are commanded to do this to each other throughout the, the pastoral and the, the uh, Pauline epistles. So having said all of that, a, a good way for us to understand the idea of submission as a whole in the Bible is this, yielding to others in love. And that is an American giveaway sign. Now in, in Australia, we have giveaway signs, and I love it. In America, it's yield. Yield. When you come to the, the crossroads, you yield. That, that's submission. And you notice that nobody's standing there trying to argue, who's more powerful here, you or me? When we get there, we just go, we yield, we give way. And I have experiences. I drive a little Mazda too, a lot of the time now. And I get to one of those giveaway signs, and it might be a massive double D, whatever they're called, semi-trailer barreling down the other way. And he gets to that sign, and he's got to stop for me. He's got to yield. That's the idea we find in the Bible. It doesn't matter about who's got the power, who's the head honcho, who's bigger, more important, more... The calling of 521 in Ephesians is that we are to yield to one another. Or in the language of Romans 12, is to treat others as more honorable, worthy of honor than we are. Yield in love. And so, all of that to say this. Submission is, is not an opportunity for one person to oppress another. It never is in the context of the Bible. It's, it's not about our relative worth or value or dignity. It's not about any of those things. It's certainly not about treating people as doormats or allowing others to treat you as a doormat in the name of submission. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to let them say nasty things and treat me in horrible ways because I'm a good Christian that's meant to submit to them. No, that's, that's not the idea in the Bible. It's certainly not about losing your voice and not having an opinion or a thought and, and not being able to express your, your desires or your wants. And again, one writer said that submission is only required when there's a difference of opinion and you have to yield to somebody else. Otherwise, you don't need to submit. And lastly, it's never about tolerating abuse. It's never about allowing people to physically or verbally abuse you over and over again and to keep receiving that in the name of being a good, submissive Christian. Okay, so let, let's talk about the, the actual passage we're looking at. It's the background, and I'm going to move through these quite quickly so I can actually get to what I want to say. So the context we're talking about is... And we need to keep this in mind. This is really, really important. There's no separation in Paul's writing when we start this section. So it needs to be read in the context from 4.1 where Paul is talking about living a life worthy of the calling. Verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, chapter 4 that we looked at last week. Be completely humble and gentle, patient. Bear. All of that carries over into this section. Uh, the, the context of five, uh, chapter 5, 1 and 2, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. All of that is playing into this. And then most immediately the context is 5.18, where Paul talks about um, not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit. The Greek words, the sentence structure of 5.21 that says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ are directly connected 
to the be filled with the Spirit word. So what Paul is saying is that be filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit looks like speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart, always giving thanks to God the Father, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the context. But there's also a, a kind of sociopolitical sociological context and this section is known as a household code and these were very very well known very very common in the greco-roman world at the time they had lots of them people like aristotle and plato and others they had these kinds of writings so it would have been very very familiar to a lot of people and the idea being that these greek philosophers and thinkers believed that if they could have strong families then that would lead to a strong society which in turn would lead to a strong empire that was the idea. And so this would, be, would have been very, very familiar to them, even though for us it seems really odd in some ways. But the point that Paul is trying to do here, we can miss what he's trying to do, because he's actually subverting what they would have understood these household codes to be like and look like. And that's what we will see. All right? So that's the, the kind of context. The priority that Paul gives you that we need to understand is that uh, because a lot of people accuse Paul of being a misogynist and a whole bunch of stuff. But the fact that he addresses the minority groups first tells me that he actually values those people. Because in Greek writing, whoever you address first is the more honorable. And notice, Paul addresses wives first. He addresses children first. He addresses slaves first. Paul is saying, look, I know that there's these social rules and norms in our culture, who the power people are in our culture, who, where the hierarchies are, the authority lines. But in the church, it's different. Women are to be honored as well. Children are to be honored as well. Slaves, who are the nobodies, are to be honored as well. And so he addresses them first. The third thing we need to understand is the setting so we're talking about first century Greco-Roman world, and we need to understand that Paul is not writing to us. He's writing to a church in Ephesus. Yes, there are principles in God's word that are binding for us, but he's thinking about the people in that church that he's writing to so that he can help them live out the gospel faithfully. Which means that when we read and when we think about how we live, live this out, like we did last week, we need to do a little bit of work. We need to think a little bit about what does that look like in my family, in my home, in my workplace, in my relationships with my kids, in my relationship with my parents. Because it is a different world that we're living in, in significant ways. So we need to keep that in mind. And lastly, the purpose. So like I've mentioned, Paul is not here like he's done with, as we saw yesterday with alcohol, uh, last week with alcohol and sexual immorality and all of this. He's not giving a blow-by-blow -blow detailed dossier on how these relationships are meant to work. We have to do a little bit of that work for ourselves. What he's trying to do is paint the big picture, the broad brushstrokes of the gospel transforming work that is meant to happen in their personal relationships. And then we have to kind of fill in the blanks and think through, okay, if that's the principle that Paul is identifying and articulating, how do we live that out faithfully in our time and in our place in how I love my husband, in how I treat my wife, in how I relate to my kids, in how I conduct myself in my workplace? That's the work that we need to do. So one, one uh, 
gospel writer, he, he made this comment. Um, his name's David De Silva. And he, he said this, so much attention has been focused on the particulars of these codes, whether to reject or affirm them as a binding ethic, that the larger principles here fall by the wayside. Namely, and this is the key part, Christ must shape our in-house interpersonal relationships. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's why Paul is writing here. This whole thing is about teaching them how to live and walk in the way of love. That's the idea. So having said all of that, three main things that I think Paul is trying to say that govern all of these relationships. One, that Jesus is the example. Jesus is the example. Now he he makes this very, very overt in in the relationship between husbands and wives because it's the most direct parallel between Jesus' relationship with the church. Notice how he says this, um, particularly to the husbands. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Uh, Then he talks about uh, how Christ uh, uh, cleanses the church without stain and wrinkle. Verse 28, in this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And so we see that Paul is saying, I've told you about Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 2, who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Now, love each other that way. Which is kind of what Jesus said in John chapter 13, when he's just washed the disciples' feet. And he makes this profound statement. A new command I give you, love one another As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Have you ever actually sat with that verse for a bit? Jesus is saying we're to love each other, to love our husbands and wives, to love our children and our parents, to love our bosses at work and the people we work alongside with. If we're applying Paul, the way Jesus loves us. The way Jesus loves us. And, And Paul explicitly brings this out in the section to husbands. You know, so often this passage is used by men to tell women what they're supposed to do. But if men just spent all their time and energy trying to live out what Paul is telling them to do, I don't think the women would have any issues. Because, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Because the love that Paul expects a husband to have for his wife is the self-sacrificing, feet-washing, servant kind of leadership. Jesus is the example in, in all our relationships. Imagine this as a parent loving your child like Jesus loves you. What would that look like? Now, we, many of us come from very, all different cultures that are very patriarchal still, very ageist still, where the older you are, the more respect and honor you're given. But I wonder if we apply this same lens and saying, how does the gospel transform our cultural understanding of those relationships to a biblical understanding of those relationships how different would they look so jesus is our example the second thing is that jesus is our motivation he's our motivation and and paul brings this out particularly in in the section when he's writing his slaves and masters Listen to how he says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. That's your motivation. Do it because of Jesus. Do it. That's who you're trying to honor. 
And he goes on, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. So this is not conditional. Don't, don't just do the right thing when they're looking at you. But as slaves of Christ, remembering who you are. That's your identity. Doing the will of God from your heart. This is not about externally coerced behavior management. This is gospel-transformed internal transformation. Doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. You can't get any more explicit than that. Paul is saying, because sometimes we do this, right? If they do that, then I'll do this. If my wife is more submissive, then I'll love her more. Or flipping it around, if my husband respected me more and loved me more, then I would respect him more. We, we do that kind of stuff in the middle of an argument, right? If you would just submit to me, then I wouldn't have a problem loving you like Jesus. But, but Paul just rips the rug from under all of that. To say that's, that's not our reason. Our culture is not why we do what we do. Our, our traditional family of origin culture with a good, bad, or, that's not why. We do this because of Jesus. He's our motivation. He's not only our example. He's the one that gives us the reason to treat people the way we're supposed to treat people. With respect and honor and love. Which is why in 521, he starts this way. Notice he says, submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. That, that's it. Now again, can I just say, this does not mean that you need to put up with abuse or violence or whatever because of Jesus. Unless you really feel that God is telling you that's what you're supposed to do. That's a whole other conversation. But again, keep in mind the context that we're talking about. Back here, husbands had complete authority over their wives. They were like property. They could sell them. They could trade them in. They could do whatever. They could put them to death. But that's not our context. So we need to think about what does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in our culture, in our context. So Jesus is our motivation. The last one is Jesus transforms our attitudes, and our behavior. That's really important. And again, take you back to the, the, where we began in chapter 5, where we looked at this last week. It says that we are to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. There's attitude, having a loving attitude, and gave himself up for us. There's action. There's behavior. It's, it's not just about your internal feelings that Jesus is wanting to transform or your attitudes or your mindset, or all of that, yes. But he, he wants to transform the way that leads to different kinds of behavior in how you live that out. And in this context, we see that, and this is where it's interesting because there's a lot of debate about the connection between verse 21 and verse 22. Submit to one another. That's written to everyone. And then wives submit yourselves. What's interesting is that Paul says we are all supposed to have this attitude of yielding to one another. But the way we're supposed to do that in different relationships will look different. So here's the most controversial thing I'm going to say this morning. I believe that the biblical principle and the call of Paul to live out these attitudes and values is still binding for Christians today. I don't think we can eject submission and eject the words that in our culture we find offensive, like authority, like honor, 
like respect. We want this idea that we want to flatten everything and say we're all equal. So we, we don't owe respect or honor or deference. We, we want to get rid of all of these words. But the Bible won't let us. So I, I want to say that that's still binding. Here's the other controversial word. But I, I think the way we live this out has to be different. We need to think it through. But notice that Paul never asks a husband to submit to his wife. But he asks him to sacrificially lay down his life for his wife. I don't know which is worse. I'm just saying. Right. Husbands, you be like Jesus. And here we are worried about our wives submitting to us. I'm like, I've got my hands full. You sort yourself out. And, and here's the other thing I want to say. When we read passages like this, we're so aware of what God is telling the other person to do. Right? We're nudging each other going, are you listening? Are you listening? But Paul's not writing like that. That's why he starts by saying, wives, listen, I'm talking to you now. Not to the husbands. This is, see, the thing about submission is when somebody else tries to make you submit, that's not submission. That's called oppression. Submission is something that only you can do. Only you can yield yourself to somebody else. Nobody else can make you do that. And I had this experience, you know, when we were at the, the Tamil church many years ago in Maryland, and I was invited to come and do a seminar for, for kids and young people. And my brief was, can you come and just tell them to obey the parents? <laughs> and these guys were there. And the parents were there sitting in the back behind all the kids to make sure I did that. I did not submit. I preached the Bible. And so I, pre I said, look, children, you need to listen to what Paul is saying to you. And I said, this is what it says, obey, honor. And I said, now parents, you need to listen to what the Bible is saying to you. Because we, we do that. So here, Paul is saying, wives, you're supposed to relate to your husbands with respect. Submission. That's really what we're talking about, yielding and giving. Husbands, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you show submission to your wife by laying down your life, by being the first to sacrifice, by being the one that reflects Jesus. Children, the way you submit is by honoring your parents and obeying them. Now, we can talk about at what point does that end? Because in many cultures, as long as you're in my home, it's my rules, right? But again, I don't think the Bible talks about children as being perpetually children forever. Just keep in mind, in, in, in Jewish culture, uh, a young boy became a man legally at 13. So, you know, we don't want to argue that. But in our culture, when does somebody become an adult? 18. They can vote. Would they not have some agency in the decisions they can make about their life? Okay, but how, then how do we obey and honor? What does that look like? And I've talked to some people in our church from different cultures who are trying to wrestle and work this out. Particularly if they're parents are not even Christians. How do you honor them? Interesting, challenging, difficult. And then to slaves. It's like we're supposed to do good work. We're supposed to respect our masters. We're supposed to reverence them. We're supposed to work from our heart. We're supposed to do all these things. And masters, stop treating your slaves badly. In the same way, you're supposed to care for them and honor them. You see, when we understand the cultural context, the stuff that sticks in our throats would not have been an issue to the first century hearers at all. You know, when Paul said to the women, submit, they're going, yeah, okay, whatever. 
that's nothing new. We're already doing that. What's different for them is why they were supposed to submit. Not because their culture was telling them to, but out of reverence for Christ. Because of Christ being who he is. Notice what he says. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That was what was different. But you know what's radically different? Is Paul telling husbands to even love their wives. They would be like, what? Are you serious? You want me to love this thing that, that I own? And love them like Jesus. That would have been so... And notice how much time Paul gives to the husbands over how much time he spends talking to the wives. Because they needed more help to live this out. It was more radical, more confronting, more challenging for them to hear what Paul had to say. So again, for children to obey parents and to honor them, that wasn't anything new. The kids would have been doing that. They would have been all over it. What was radical is him telling parents to actually care about their kids, to instruct them in the way of the Lord, to bring them up and not to frustrate them and exasperate them. That would have been what was radical. Slaves, to obey your masters, yeah, big whoop. We've been doing that. They beat us up. Again, the radical difference is how they were supposed to do that. But you know who would have found this confronting? The masters. Paul's telling them to treat them the same way that he's telling the slaves to treat them. And not to threaten them. Because we both have the same master. That's what was radical. So, all that to say, Paul helps them think through how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in their relationships. How do we do this today? In, in our culture, marriage is very, very different in how it's understood. There's a lot more equality, a lot more balance. Parenting, now we live in a culture where kids can choose their gender. And parents are told that if you interfere, we can take you to court. That's so different to the culture of first century Greco-Roman world. You know, uh, we, we live in a culture where kids can divorce their parents if they want. H how do we live this? We live in a world where there are, you know, contracts that bind employer-employer relationships. And a whole bunch of legal processes that will follow if we violate those things. Well, how do we honor God and live that way? So as we've done in the series last week, I'm just going to give you a question. I'm not going to do your work for you. I'm going to give you a question to think about. How do I express the love and servant heart of Jesus to people in my life? Easy question. Lots of work to think through. How do I, how do I express the gospel? How do I express the heart of Jesus to my husband, to my wife, to my children, to my parents, to my boss, to my employees? How do I live out the servant-hearted, sacrificial love of Jesus in my context today? And all of this, again, as we come back to as I finish, is anchored in the gospel. It's because Jesus loved us, verse 2, chapter 5, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now go and do likewise. Why don't you bow your heads and pray? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We need to be filled with your spirit. We need to be reminded, Father, that you love us first and foremost. 
that Jesus has laid down his royalty, his dignity, his identity with you, his power, his glory to take on human form and lay down his life as a sacrifice for us. That is our example. That is our motivation. That is our hope that you will change us and transform us to reflect him. And so, Lord, I pray for every marriage. I pray for every family. I pray for every single person. I pray for every employee, every employer. We don't live in this world that Paul is writing to, but we live in ours, Father, with our own challenges, with our own complexity, with our own questions, with our own pressures. And so we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your grace that in all of these relationships, we might live out of the gospel, truth that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are your children. And so we can be secure, Lord, in the midst of rejection and hurt and disappointment in the past, secure that we are still loved by you and that your love will transform us to be able to love, to be able to be gracious, to be able to yield to one another out of reverence for Jesus. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.